Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of One Vision. I'm Bradley Limer, your host for the day, and I have the pleasure of talking to Mary Ann Azevedo, senior reporter at TechCrunch and an experienced journalist who's written for the Houston Business Journal, Cranes, the San Francisco Business Times, Forbes, Silicon Valley Business Journal, and a lot more. Mm -hmm. So welcome to the show, Mary Ann. Great to have you on. Hi, I'm very excited to be on. Thanks for having me. But we appreciate uh, all the reporting that you do and all the, you know, just the in-depth stuff over the years that you have produced is just really amazing. Uh, and we're going to talk about all that. Uh, but let's let's talk by, by having or let's start by having you uh, talk a little bit about your background and, and give you uh, give our listeners a little bit more of an idea about what you do. Um, OK, sure. So I've been a journalist now for over 25 years, um, started in online journalism when the internet was just taking off in the late 90s. And I've been covering, I covered startups during the dot-com boom and subsequent bust as well. So I've been covering startups and technology off and on over the past couple of decades. Um, I do have a real passion for startups. So honestly, working at TechCrunch tech is like uh, my dream job because I have, I have this passion for covering startups and it's, it's just an amazing place to report anyway. Well, I, I just, you know, have been reading TechCrunch since day one. And I love the fact that, you know, Finnovate is sort of based a little bit on TechCrunch's uh, model of, you know, the gong in the seven minutes. Um, we've talked to a lot of journalists and writers on the show for many, many years. And we had a sub-series called Judge Me By My Cover, where we talked to authors about their books, uh, especially books that are focused on technology and financial services. We love startups and have focused a lot on startups that are doing things for good and uh, beyond good. And, you know, in terms of loving startups and reporting on it, uh, man, things have changed, or at least the perception of things have changed for startups as it relates to at least funding. And you guys cover that an awful lot. How do you feel uh, about the state of startups and startup land and funding right now? Like, what's, what's your take on where things are headed? Yeah. So, I mean, last year was obviously a, a crazy, crazy year. And um, as all of us were going through it, I think deep down, we knew that it was not something that was sustainable. You know, there was too much money being thrown around. Uh, valuations were just skyrocketing at a at a really high rate. Um, and, and so many companies were like raising back to back rounds. You know, it just it, it I wouldn't say it was necessarily like the dot-com boom, but there was a lot of parallels and that that feeling of just like things were getting a little bit out of control. Um, as a journalist, for sure, at TechCrunch, we were we were bombarded with pitches. It was it was actually very overwhelming because of the sheer number of funding rounds and um, and and just general pitches we were receiving. It was just a really hectic year. So having said that, um, we we do we did see that. It couldn't continue. I, I think what I didn't predict, though, that it was going to happen. I feel like it was it was a long time coming, but also abrupt, like in the way that the slowdown started to take place. Right. It was just like a little bit, a little bit gradual, a little bit less funding rounds, a little bit less pitches. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> like everything changed dramatically and, and the whole vibe of um of the the fundraising environment was very very different investors expressing a lot of caution founders complaining of term sheets being pulled and mm -hmm. challenging um fundraising environment and and people talking about fundamentals again which really they should have been talking about all along um you know that the things that should have been important that were kind of glossed over in 2021 like a, a really solid revenue model traction um 
things like that. You know, I feel like a lot of investors were too quick to write checks last year's because they last year because they had FOMO. They were uh, afraid of missing out on the next big thing, and uh, as a result, maybe a lot of companies that not saying they weren't good companies, but were funded maybe a little more than they should have been too early, and so that led to a lot of um, I think increased pressure on startups too, and and we're feeling the effects of that as we are reporting on layoffs left and right now in 2022. Yeah, I, I, there's so much that goes back to sort of the, the dot-com era and, you know, living in the Bay Area during that time. I always tell the story of, you know, driving down to my offices in San Carlos and over the years in the run-up to the dot-com sort of bust, seeing all the buildings come up and then watching over the next five years, the buildings emptying out and the logos coming down. Right. Uh, and it's not, it's, it's not quite the same. I mean, the pandemic has certainly you know, accelerated so much and accelerated the changes that we, you know, do in our daily lives and the way we pay and all these things. And there's been a lot of opportunities uh, in Web3 and everything else. But yeah, I mean, everything has really kind of come down, which is really interesting. Uh, it is. But this is the time to build. You know, this is absolutely the time where the best companies will come about. And uh, it's going to be an exciting next 10 to 15 years. So you guys have plenty to report on. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And I do think, I mean, I don't think this means like the, the fun raising environment is dead. Not at all. I, I just feel like investors are being a lot more discriminating and, and founders are having to kind of prove a little bit more before they get those checks. And so again, I don't think that's such a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the reporting a little bit more too. You co-host this equity pod podcast with Alex Wilhelm, and I've been reading Alex's stuff for years as well. And you have this great newsletter on fintech and this is your beat as well. Uh, with a special focus on LATAM. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the researching the sort of broader context and the issues that you, you know, filter startups sort of in and out of, of some of these things? And uh, how has your writing changed as you learned over the years more about this industry, particular in financial services? Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting questions. I think yeah, when I started at TechCrunch about a year and a half ago, I was trying to cover um, pretty broadly fintech, prop tech, and Latin America. And then I realized uh, a little bit uh, into the job that it was just going to be impossible to do all three of those subjects justice. And so I really needed to to hone in um, and, and just kind of make fintech my main beat. Um, so that means I still cover PropTech. I still look at LATAM, but, but really as much as I can from a fintech lens. Um, so I, you know, I've been covering fintech for a couple of years now. And as always, I, and I think you and I can you know we share this belief about about fintech and that what really stands out what makes it so amazing is is how it can it can boost inclusion all over the world and so i get particularly excited about startups that that are um developing technology to really like just for the greater good i know that sounds cliche but um, less interested in, in startups that are looking to help the wealthy just get wealthier. Um, but really technology that helps uh, open up access to populations that may not have had it, whether it be to credit or just making online payments, you know, things like that. Well, I mean, we wrote a whole book about, you know, good, good business models and financial services. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, you, you can't see, you know, what, what you have your blind spots from. And I think that's a lot of the valley. And I, I think that your reporting on different regions from that angle of fintech and financial services 
And the fact that you talk about things like inclusion and diversity and what have you is important. And it's an important piece of that becoming the, the norm, the questions and the lens that we have. Um, can you talk about, you know, how those stories have changed? I mean, to, to your point earlier, you're saying that you kind of had this fintech, you know, sort of as the central point, but you're branching out within that lens. Um, when you talk about the podcast and you talk about sort of the news and events of that week and bringing in that sort of, you know, why is this important? And those questions about who is this serving and these type of things, mm-hmm. you know, talk about that process of deciding what you talk about. And this is the question I really would, I always want to ask people, but I never get a chance to, mm-hmm. have you had any aha moments in your reporting based on how it's affecting your own life? Yeah, that's, that's an your interesting. finances or like, you yeah. know, like. Something about your property tech stuff or anything like that. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I'll get I'll get to that after uh, talking about the podcast some. So, um, so the podcast that I co-host is only the Friday episode, and Alex Wilhelm and, and Natasha Mascarenas um, do the Monday and Wednesday uh, shows. And anyway, um, we have a great time on the podcast. Both uh, or Alex, Natasha, and I worked together previously at Crunchbase News. So. We're former coworkers and very good friends. So I, I think that gives us a really great rapport and chemistry as we, as we talk on the show. Um, one of the things I didn't realize, and, and I'm sure you know this too, there's actually a lot more prep that goes into a podcast than, um, a listener might realize. I mean, we actually have a script. We, we we're very careful about the topics and stories we choose to discuss. And contrary to what many people might believe, we don't pick the like most viewed stories of the week. Um, or the biggest fundraisers to talk about. It's quite the contrary. We, we choose the stories that we just felt were the most meaningful in one way or another in terms of um, who might be impacted by what a particular company is doing or if they're a little bit under the radar doing something really unusual. And then I think all three of us uh, are on the same page and that we're, we're all very much advocates of, again, of companies that are um, doing good and, and helping boost inclusion. So we get excited about similar things and that helps. So um, like, for example, this week I wrote about a new fund that's um, going to back uh, Latino or Latina founders in the U.S. based in the U.S. Um, on, of early stage companies. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It's disappointing that many times when we do stories that relate to diversity, they don't perform as well as we would like. Um, and that's unfortunate. And I don't know what that says about our readers, honestly, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop doing it because it's important to, to shed a spotlight on all, all demographics, all different populations. And so it makes it just even more important to continue on that course. So, so that's the kind of thing I thought was really, really interesting. There's a lot of high profile uh, partners at this firm called Attitude Ventures and um, some really high profile LPs. And so anyway, so when it comes to the podcast, I digress. Um, we really do put a lot of thought into it. We have a prep call and go over a script. And so um, we're, we're pretty selective on what we choose to discuss. Yeah, I mean, I think about the, the people that we've had on this show, and it's everything from people like you that are reporting and or analyzing what's happening uh, to people that are funding and founding. Uh, so there's so much going on in this space. And I asked the question about the aha moments, mostly because, you know, being in this industry for decades now, I think people like me still don't understand everything about banking and everything about, you know, the business model around banking and how everything that you do, there's an extractive process of that. Uh, so, you know, I, I've always questioned the where does my money go? 
And you mm-hmm. know, that, that piece, I think, is, is always from, from day one being in this industry, just phenomenal to me that these business models actually exist. And then right. you kind of go into other technology business models and you think, okay, well, what are they getting out of me having my eyeballs on this screen for that long? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was kind of where I was kind of going with that. So keep on thinking about it if you come up with it. Yeah. But, yeah. It's really honestly hard to, hard to say. I would say that there have been, been times where I've written about a certain company or new technology that I'm like, wow, I, yeah, I didn't know this existed. And this is something, you know, I would look into, or maybe I know a friend who would really be interested in this, like someone who's interested in getting into real estate investing, but is intimidated by the process or they're not accredited investors. So I've written about companies that open up um, access to allow more people to invest in properties um, with as little as a hundred dollars is one of my headlines said. So, you know, things like that, it's actually, um, you know, I learn a lot as a reporter. I think that's one of my very favorite things about being a reporter is that it's a constant education. And every, every day I'm learning something new. I'm talking to smart people and I think it never gets boring. So that's one of the things I love most about, about my job. And, and there's never a lack of news to uh, analyze yeah. a report. That's for sure. <laughs> not, not working with folks in the Valley and, and the ecosystem, which is growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, we, we write, we write a lot about and talk a lot about the, the lack of diversity and funding and the lack of diversity in the C-suite and the boardrooms um, mm-hmm. and in venture capital in general. And I think, you know, that things have changed, but we've gone backward a little bit, especially when it comes to yeah. women's women led startups uh, you know, we, we can't, we, we can't see these changes really like taking root so that mm-hmm. we, we, so that that becomes the norm, you know, because we need to have diverse founders to really serve the diverse needs of the entirety of our communities. Uh, what, what else do you think needs to change? You, you guys report on it a lot, but yeah, what else needs to change? I mean, I agree with you. And that's actually something when you asked me about how have I seen things change since I've been covering fintech. And actually, I was going to say that one of the things I haven't seen change enough is this, that um, there are still not enough dollars flowing to uh, diverse or under underrepresented populations. And um, I, I really struggle to to still understand it. I feel like there's a lot of lip service when it comes to this. Um, but I feel like a lot of investors still tend to feel more comfortable backing founders that are similar to themselves or have similar backgrounds to themselves. And I'm not saying all of them, but um, it feels like people who come from different backgrounds that are not as privileged, maybe, or is not as um, like the stereotypical Ivy League education or growing up in more privileged really have to work so much harder to be taken seriously and um, to gain credibility. And it's just it's very frustrating um, as a reporter to see that. So I think as to what needs to be done, I you know I don't know. I think more of these people who come from these different backgrounds should get into the venture world and get into investing to help that help there be more of these founders getting backed. I know that was very awkwardly said, but I don't know if that. I think we just need more investors from diverse backgrounds to help fund these diverse entrepreneurs. really good to see though over the last 10 to 15 years is that there's been more Silicon Valley creation, right? Mm-hmm. So there's been more Silicon Valleys and more cities and, sure. and they're different, they're different flavors of Silicon Valley and there's different, you know, sort of communities and pockets of folks that are really coming from those different diverse backgrounds and they're building things that are really, really incredibly exciting. And so, you know, I guess my message to the venture world has always been having, you know, had a lot of interface, especially at Santander with these um, large Valley fund, um, 
machines mm-hmm. is, is to get out more, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you, you, you can't, you know, fund new types of founders unless you actually experience their lives as well. And, and that's always been the problem. So, so speaking of, you know, different, different experiences, uh, you moved from the Bay area and in Silicon Valley to Austin, Texas, almost, well, I guess nine years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. How has that decade been? Because Austin has changed a lot. And a lot of people from California, like yourself have moved there. Yeah. Uh, do you miss anything about the Bay area? Oh yeah. I mean, of course. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you know, you're back weather. here every once in a while. I know it's it, no, I do. The weather is amazing. Um, just the general proximity to so many beautiful places to visit, to hop in your car and go somewhere different every weekend is incredible. We're very landlocked, unfortunately, here in Austin. There's not many places you can drive to over a weekend, you know, to see. Um, I did feel a little bit like living in Silicon Valley, that it was almost surreal, like its own little world, right? That just felt kind of insulated from the rest of the country, especially when it came to technology and startups. Um, Obviously, the pandemic probably has helped change that quite a lot since there's so many people working remotely now and and geography became less of a big deal over the past couple of years. And that's a good thing. I've always thought um, looking at at markets that, you know, that kind of fly under the radar has been fascinating. Like I've did stories previously looking at Pittsburgh and Atlanta and Raleigh, uh, places like that where there's a lot of cool tech stuff happening that people just don't necessarily think of when they think about tech hubs. but yeah, anyway, Austin Austin is an interesting city. It has changed a lot, and there are a lot of parallels, I think, to the Bay Area. It's very beautiful, actually, where you have lakes and it's quite hilly in some areas. Um, there's a robust startup scene, but I do th- still think it has quite a long way to go. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of people here actually get annoyed with comparisons to Silicon Valley, and they say things like, look, we're not trying to be another Silicon Valley. We'll never be another Silicon Valley. We're just trying to be Austin. Um, and I think that's very true. I, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of enthusiasm here, a lot going on. Um, I do think Austin still lacks a little bit of that global, um, I guess, success. Like, There's not a lot of companies that have been born here that have gone on to have super global reach. I mean, they're Dell, of course, you know, years ago, but in in general, I think that's something that Austin's still lacking. Yeah. I I think about, you know, all the people moving to Austin and Miami and other places. And, you know, I I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, cultural and taxes and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's it's it, it, uh, when I think about Austin and all the the different events that I've been there, digital banking and others um, over the years, and obviously South by Southwest and other things. The um, the barbecue and the the weather and just the people and the friendliness of of the the natural Texan comes out. But if you've ever driven across Texas, you know it takes forever. Yeah, uh, and that's huge. that's the one thing I could imagine. Like you're, you, you like you said, you can't just get out in your car and like in an hour being a, in a completely different world almost. Yeah, yeah, and I would say another thing, um, another thing about Austin that's unfortunate, and I think a lot of people compare this to like San Francisco as well. As the growth has come, some of it has been at the expense of the charm of the city, and and a lot of the character that was once here, um, the small businesses with the, the unique um, logos and art and just had been around for decades and 
or families that started these businesses years ago have had to shut down. Many of them have had to shut down because they couldn't keep up with the rising property taxes and um, all the gentrification going on around them. So that's an unfortunate consequence of growth. Um, and I and I know that growth is good, but there are, are some negative effects of it sometimes. And I would say Austin's certainly feeling that. Yeah, and the Bay Area is not immune to that. And I think about, mm -hmm. you know, growing up and visiting San Francisco and how much it's changed over the, the decades of living here. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm probably a life in the Bay Area until, uh, you know, I'm done working or something. But not having the perspective uh, of not traveling and what have you. I mean, I couldn't imagine that. You know, I grew up in an airline brat, and so I always had access to a plane to go somewhere. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, they either choose to or don't have the ability to, to get out. And if right. you're, you know, continuing to be among the same people all the time and you don't see and don't have the empathy to understand that, you know, not everybody lives a life like you do. Mm -hmm. uh, that impacts what you do and, and how you think and all the rest. So I just... Um, I, I look at the the diaspora of people from the valley and those that have gone on to create these great systems in places like Utah and Silicon Slopes and uh, you know in North Carolina, like you alluded to, and other places, and even the Renaissance of New York and their startup scene. It's, it's really mm -hmm. just great to watch. Mm -hmm. I so, agree. So switching switching gears a little bit, um, you say on your personal website that I love the thrill of the chase and digging up the not so obvious. I love what I do. Mm -hmm. And that comes across in your writing. Um, I think the, the human element in so many of your stories, whether you're covering startups like Mexican uh, Startup Excel or what you were talking about with this fund, um, the the idea of writing about homeownership and not having a human element to it when things have changed in the market mm -hmm. or you know the economics of it and how that impacts people, you always seem to focus on that, that greater context and the implication of what it all means. And that has a lot of empathy to it. And so that's in many cases, what is missing from some type of reporting and mm -hmm. certainly covering startups, not like getting overexcited about dollars and really understanding what's happening. Is is that, you know, just from, from your experience tapping into that, is, is there a need for those personal stories to be sort of wrapped up in this reporting? Like think, think mm -hmm. about how we could do more of that. Well, um, well, first off, thank you. That's a huge compliment. I, I take that as a really, really big compliment. Um, yeah, I've always, I've always said that, you know, I used to cover real estate quite a lot and, and even now covering startups, it's not so much just the numbers or the companies or the buildings that I used to write about. It's really the people behind them, right? So I'm really drawn to origin stories or what a life experience uh, led to a certain entrepreneur starting a company, what problem they were trying to solve. And, you know, I think without some of the, and not every story, of course, has it, but like when there is a very clear human element to what a company is doing or the story behind how it started, it, it's a disservice to our readers to not share that, right? Because um, that's what's that's what's really interesting. I mean, companies raise money every day. The Those numbers, and it's not super exciting to me. Like, it's really just much more interesting to hear about what led to a, a company getting started or how it's really, truly helping people um, you know, actually changing lives. So that's when I get really pumped, <laughs> of course. So um, I, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I could see your point that maybe a lot of writers are very focused on more about the numbers or the technology, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I mean, there's different appetites for different things, and maybe some readers really prefer that kind of reporting. But, um, but I do think a lot of people are are drawn to hearing more 
more of this, you know, getting more of that human element in and understanding uh, bigger picture, the significance of what a company's doing. I would say also that the fact that I'm not, I'm not really a techie helps, you know, I'm not a, not a technical person. I was a psychology major and an undergrad and classical studies. Those are the two things I majored. I, I did go into journalism and graduate school. Um, but you know, I'm not, the technology is interesting and I'll get into it, but I mean, we're not necessarily a technical publication, so I'm not going to dive too deep into all of that. So maybe that's part of why I tend to be drawn more to the human side of things. I think everybody has that story. And for me, it's like when I see these headlines with dollars being so high, especially in the past you know, couple of years, I think about what that money could be used for. And then I kind of track back to what people said they were going to do, you know, with the company, with the, those dollars, what the funds were meant to do and like how it's being allocated and who it's being allocated to. Because again, if, if we're not here to improve the state of life for more people on this planet and, and actually leave some sort of legacy in mm -hmm. a planet itself, if we can mm -hmm. get beyond destroying it, uh, you know, what's the point? So, yeah, I think we're on the same page for sure <laughs> on that. So. One of the, yeah, well, it, that, I think we're just on this program, especially we're naturally drawn to people you know, that, that have a very similar viewpoint, but maybe that's a, a bias in itself. We're, we're trying to tell the good stories and, you know, maybe we should challenge ourselves to have more people who don't agree with that. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe, but I think that it's just our inherent, um, it's just wanting to amplify that. I think that mindset and voice as much as we can, is just something we cannot we help. We need more, we need yeah. more of the good stories. <laughs> yeah. um, so let, let's wrap up with like kind of this train of thought. Um, at Berkeley, I, I studied mass comm to the point where, you know, I was almost like going in that direction. And I had like professors like Todd Gitlin and others that have been a, a student and been part of sort of the, the news cycle as things have consolidated within this business. Mm -hmm. um, we have gone from, you know, this place where people would consume the news at, at sort of the same time in the same place. And they would go from television news to physical newspapers and the rest. And business news was part of that cycle. And so when, when you think about sort of the state of journalism and you think about things like your podcast and the other ways that you get news out, people now are consuming a lot more news from social feeds, obviously from Facebook and Instagram and short stories like TikTok and video stories and through super apps with mini programs that also involve content. Uh, and it's changing the way that people perceive what is going on around them and what really impacts them and what they should care about. And it's a very sort of interesting cycle, uh, scary in some cases, really interesting in others because everybody becomes a journalist. Yeah, for sure. So, so, um, so what gives you hope that as things change, you know, your role is going to evolve with it and other people that are reporting that news? Um, what gives you the most hope for those stories to really have a greater impact? Um, I think that's an interesting question because I, you know, I started my career with print publications. I worked at a magazine called Omni, which probably, I don't know how many listeners are yet old enough, sorry, to remember it. Um, and then I worked at a daily newspaper for a long time. And my first job was as a reporter for a small town newspaper. And I remember walking through, um, you know, the, the rooms where they were actually laying out the pages, right. You know, physically putting the paper together. Um, so I still think there's there's a lot of 
richness that is tied to how how we used to consume news primarily and i and i'm glad that newspapers are still around for example but you're right things have changed quite dramatically um and and i agree it is a little bit scary because a lot of people don't always know the difference between a journalist or a blogger right uh, someone who just is spouting off their thoughts on something or their ideas on something and not everyone can tell what's the difference between someone who's actually um, done reporting, talk to people, or and some are just kind of giving their their opinions or their thoughts. Uh, I I think that we're, and this is not to preach too much about TechCrunch. I just feel like TechCrunch is such has such a, an influential role in the startup world, and I feel very honored to write for TechCrunch, and I feel like it helps set the tone a lot in general for reporting in the space. And so, again, not trying to give us too much credit, but I don't think I even realized until I started writing for TechCrunch. I mean, our our staff is incredible. Like, we have some really, really smart people that care very deeply about responsible journalism and and writing quality articles that that matter. And it's it's really shared across the board. And you know, um, there's no cutthroat stuff going on. We're not competing against each other at all. Everyone's very, very, very collaborative. Um, and I feel like, I feel like we take, we take that responsibility very seriously. And so hopefully other journalists, other reporters covering the space see this. And I hope we're, we're influencing. I don't know if that makes makes any sense no absolutely and i think i think you're right i think TechCrunch has always been at the center of the heart of reporting on what happens not just in silicon valley and venture but in technology in general and mm -hmm. i've always appreciated you know so many of these writers these great writers that have sort of come through and many of course are still on staff mm -hmm. that have reported on what it all means because they get a chance to to really sit in that room or sit on that call and, and ask those questions that are vitally important to the way that technology impacts our lives. And so kudos right. to you and your writing and to everybody on your team uh, that continues to put out an amazing amount of great content every single day. Um, obviously, techcrunch.com is a great way to see your writing. Is there any other place that you would like people to, to look at or to, you know, um, sure, they could follow me on Twitter. As you know, I'm pretty active on the site. Bay Area Writer is my handle, even though I'm no longer there. Um, and if you're really interested in fintech news, you could sign up for my newsletter, which is, I think, techcrutch.com forward slash newsletters. And it's called The Interchange. Uh, and, you know, just really appreciate people supporting us and, and reading our work. Uh, don't take it for granted. Not one, you know, not one bit. So thanks for all the support and all of all the loyal readers out there. Well, that is a, another reason for you guys to continue to read TechCrunch and to continue to read what Marianne and others are writing. Um, always great to have people on, and provide their, their lens. And so thank you so much, Marianne, for coming onto the show and offering your perspective on the state of journalism and the state of things tech. We didn't get into too much tech, but boy, I tell you, go out and find some of her articles and uh, her, her counterparts uh, over at TechCrunch. I want to thank, thank you, you all. Well, appreciate that. I want to thank everybody for listening in. And uh, again, go check out TechCrunch.com and Marianne's writing. We will see you all next week on another episode of One Vision.